0: All right, welcome back to another episode. So hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for another daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to introduce our guest, the one, the only, Doc Spears. So Doc, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and give us your bio as much as you're comfortable sharing?
1: Oh, there's nothing too secret. Uh, yeah, John Spears, better known as Doc, in in uh, many circles. Uh, my uh, part time, full time gig is I'm a, a consultant and a trainer in the defense industry. My my background, you know, like all veterans, uh, uh, you know, is very important to me. I uh, did my portion of uh, of service in U.S. Army Special Forces. Uh, and that was how I came up in the world, and then uh, I got an education and made a mistake and in, uh, in, uh, got too educated and then had to go and pay off all of my my debt by, uh, by, uh, by actually working hard, and I've regretted that ever since, uh, but uh, uh, getting into science fiction has uh, been a relatively new thing for me and uh, just enjoying it greatly, and I wouldn't even say it's been the fulfillment of a dream it's just been kind of like falling down a well and uh ended up liking floating down in the dark deep and it's just worked out really well so uh that's that's about all about me that's uh, that's worth saying so <laughs> speechless wow so
0: that's what happens when the boomer mutes himself um so this is the part of the interview where we will tell you where we first met him. So uh, Nick, since you're in the, the, the Pew Pew community as a um, super secret squirrel, did you know Doc Spears before
2: this interview? Prior to this, no. No, I didn't. Uh, always uh, happy to meet a fellow gunslinger. Um, oh, wow. One that's a little more uh, nuanced to the medical arts. <laughs> so not only can he poke the holes, he can fix them when he's done. Yeah, it's one of the beauty of uh, beautiful things being cross trained. Once we take the bullets out, if we need to, we can put them back in. (laughs) I
0: admire your dedication. (laughs) So, what about you, Doc? Suska, I can't just call you Doc now. It'll confuse people.
3: So, um, honestly, this is the first time I've met him. Yeah. Uh, I did look up the book when you were like, hey, there's this really awesome guy. We're going to interview him, and you want to come along for the ride. And of course, you know, I always say yes to that. So. Here we are.
1: Yeah, what do you got to lose?
0: And, uh, and I, of course, met him through the Galaxy's Edge when he started writing. And they, uh, they told me before they told everyone else, because I run the, the fan page. So I got to see all the cool Forge tactical stuff before they started sharing it publicly. But um, <laughs> luckily, I've never been on the business end of his, uh, his pew stick, so I, I'm, I'm good. So uh, when we first started this podcast, we told you, dear Lesnar, that for a while we were going to do a bunch of the stuff we couldn't have done under sci-fi shenanigans. But we decided to bump Doc Spears up because he does write military science fiction um, because he's – the Galaxy's Edge fandom is nominating and they're getting together. They want to push Forgotten Ruin, uh, which is the book we sort of almost coherently talked about on episode two. Uh, I listened to it. It was
2: fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, alcohol was had a good time, all but um, guys
3: should so, show up within 30 minutes.
2: Okay, to be fair, JR, we had a guest that has tons of knowledge of my beloved regiment. You have me, a member of the regiment, and two, a book about my regiment doing cool things to metal earth. So, and you
3: know, know I did bring bad decisions.
0: You know, enabled. when you say my regiment, I'm thinking of that saying that scene from Braveheart where he's like, It's my island, I own it. Um, so you know
3: what? I am so glad that you guys all, I'm sitting here going regiment and thinking of kilts.
0: There you go. But, no. so when the fans <laughs> reached out when we started, oh, but it's got to be a tactical kilt, because he runs Tactical Forge.
3: I have tactical kilts.
0: <clears throat> that scares me. But, uh, so, <laughs> so when the fans reached out and they said, you know, if the Forgotten mm-hmm. Ruins is going over to fantasy, that leads to military sci-fi, we want to nominate one of Doc's books. So we were organizing it, and his books for his Dark Ops series two through five all qualify. So uh, we talked, Jason and I, and we said, well, Exigency has a really cool cover. So let's go with that one. Cause you know, there's gotta be a reason and cool cover, like the rule of cool is a thing. So we decided to bump them up a little bit uh, while people were deciding. So we could talk about that, that cool book. And then we'll go back to doing some more fantasy and RPGs. And Nick's going to hook us up with some comic book drawing types uh, for for some fun interviews. Uh, and uh, we'll go from there. But let's dive in. So, Saska, the first level, well, the first, the next question is yours. See, I do the words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're a cunning
2: linguist, Jr.
3: <sighs> yeah, I know he's a unique language unto himself. Uh, now, the religion question: Star oh. Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly?
1: Um. Wow. I would have to say for uh, for uh, like. Movie and TV media, Firefly, you know, Serenity wrapped up that storyline in like the best possible way that didn't leave us all mad and, and hating all the creators and the actors and things like that, which can't really be said for Star Wars or most of Star Trek. So yeah, Firefly all the way.
3: I w- I will say one thing I loved about Serenity was it was a very self-contained movie. I went with yeah. a um, my friend who was a mundane, never seen any sci-fi, really. And even she was able, and and by the way, could not keep her mouth shut during a movie normally, and very few questions of what's going on. What? So it was great. They it did a really good well job
1: written, of that. Thought, uh, brought, the, brought the 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 pre- uh, TV season story into the light, took y'all through that, finished it in a very satisfying way. They They just did a fantastic job.
2: I agree, Doc. It tied it up into a nice little bow and package and you didn't need a whole lot of previous knowledge of this series to, to get involved in that movie. True. So true.
3: On to because we are a polytheistic podcast today.
2: We're done with that. Now um
3: I think Jr just likes hearing me say polytheistic. But Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings or the Potterverse.
1: Oh Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings way out in the way out in the lead. It's, you know? it's
3: all the walking right. <laughs>
1: I can I can do the directors cuts, uh, you know, and just go one movie back to back, and you know, and never stop. Yeah, totally. Lord of the Rings, you know, Game of Thrones. I think is a really is a really wonderful prophetic tale for all creators about how you know, look how far they went with something that was the biggest ever. We all loved it. We were all just you know eating our livers out, waiting for the next season to come out. And then the last season, none of us are talking about Game of Thrones anymore. None of us are rewatching any of the, you know, of the uh, the, the replays from the earlier seasons. Nobody cares about Game of Thrones.
3: I, I got I, so bad from somebody cause um, I'm normally don't think I'm witty, but uh, I posted after the Game of Thrones final episode. Thank you for beta testing ends of the Game of Thrones series for us.
1: <laughs>
3: I, I got uh, I got some stink eye for a while from
1: that. <laughs> it's so true. But I mean, it's such a, like I say, for somebody who, uh, you know, if you if if you have a series, if you, you know, a, any kind of uh, creative thread where you're trying to take people on a journey, you know, the, I think, there you go. Serenity is a way that serves as a template for how to do it rather well in Game of Thrones is a template for how to just like, right. you know, kill your brand, man. It's like, <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad for them. So, uh, but, you know, personally, I, you know, when I looked at it as a writer, it's like, I don't dislike the choices that they made. I don't think that the, the story went bad. It just didn't connect with the majority of fans. So, that can be you know, a trick. So, so uh,
3: but are you familiar? Of-
1: what? Are you
0: fam- are you familiar with the uh, Angry staff, Office, staff Officer podcast? No, they do. Uh, it's uh, as the name implies, uh, an angry staff officer. Although I think he's retired now, he did a review of the logistics and the battle planning for the final battle. It's hilarious.
1: I recommend if you've got some free time, check that I'm out. Gonna, I may have I may have run into it somewhere or another, but I love the name.
3: I think all staff officers are angry. At least all the ones I ever met.
1: Yeah. They have. Yeah. As a sergeant, as a I
3: tried to, Yes, we're always angry. So, as a
0: as a former sergeant, I avoided them at all costs.
3: Um. Anyways, back on track. So, w- which one was your first love, science fiction or fantasy?
1: Uh, definitely science fiction. Definitely science fiction. I got into fantasy later, uh, and certainly, you know many of them that I love, but right from the get-go as a kid, it's always been science fiction, the traveling to, to alien worlds and interacting with alien cultures and the technology that would someday let us do that. That's what's always driven me.
3: That's awesome. So is that, or was it something else that, what do you love about the genre, particularly as you bring it into your writing?
1: Um, For <laughs> me... I, uh, you know, I I would go back and cover and say, like, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. So it's like, you know, like,
3: you're You're way too young for that.
1: (laughs) I love you so much, Seska. You're awesome. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm the kid who grew up in front of the first color TV in the household watching, you know, the original series when it was broadcast the first time. You know, I can remember as that little kid sitting there watching Star Trek, you know, as it came out and having my mind blown, you know, right there is, is, you know, is a wee shaver. And then, you know, uh, uh, you know, I grew up at that period of time in the 60s. We lived in Detroit and, uh, you know, like the thriller chiller on Saturday night. And, you know, the first time when I was about four or five years old and got to see Forbidden Planet, you know, right. So it's like Forbidden Planet and Star Trek as like the brainwashing template's for a a little fragile mind, you know, uh, you know, right, exactly. It's like it totally warped my fragile little mind and and set like a tone for me where everything else entertainment wise and uh, inspiration wise has always had that bar to to hurdle for me. And what a bar. Yeah, you know, to, to, uh, to, 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 to get that inspiration, to stay motivated. And to the, to this day, those are the kinds of things, like I say, it's like Forbidden Planet is on, you know, like usually around Halloween season, you know, everything stops. I don't care if I was on my way to work out, everything stops. And I plop down and the volume goes up. And of course I have it on DVD and it's, you know, on my
2: <laughs> VR
1: player and stuff like that. So I could watch it anytime, but it's something like that, that the, that the, uh, the artistry, the t- own the setting, the story, uh, you know, the dialogue is so completely awesome, you know, that, that, that it's completely it, it always motivating. So uh, fast forward a few years, I grew up in the gun business. Uh, I grew up working in a, in a gun store, antique arms, modern arms, gunsmithing and things like that. And the gentleman who owned the store was by trade an engineer and very well read uh, uh, uh had an engineering firm bought the business for his kids it's a great place to grow up a great trade uh but when I was about a, the, 11 12 years old he asked me what are you reading and I said ah you know I you know whatever you know Huck Finn whatever they got me reading in you know you know sixth seventh grade he's like I'll take care of that and he bought me Tunnel in the sky by Heinlein you know one of the one of the <laughs> oh. and as fast as I could read a book he would get me another book and it really didn't take, you know, by the time I was 13 or 14 where I would, we were up on the same level, you know, swapping the same books and, and, and reading things like that and that kind of speculative fiction where kind of my roundabout where I'm going with this whole thing is that science fiction that looks at humanity as a constant and history is a constant repetition of different settings and different players, but but the same basic essential conflicts are always there and are probably always going to be there uh, in some way. And those are the stories that attract me the most. And that's the same thing I try and do with my stories is say the essentials, especially on the military side of thing, it doesn't matter if we're going to have, you know, particle accelerated weapons or we're still going to have chemically powered, you know, slug throwers or whether we're going to do suborbital jumps or whether we're going to be slogging through the mud as infantrymen, the same basic kind of things that are going to happen and the same political motivations of why we're employed as warriors is not going to change in the future. And getting to tell those kind of stories and use very modern principles uh, to tell stories in the future, you know, both as a way to, you know, of course, primarily to entertain, but hopefully to, to like inspire the reader and to get them to think about things in a different level. You know, it's like whether I don't remember, was it Niven or Pornell or one of those guys who said, you know, A great story will entertain, you know. You know, an equally great story will inspire, and a really, really great story will also educate. You know, it's some level, when I'm writing, I'm think that was Niven to do all those three things.
2: That's awesome! Boom! You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's great. Um, So you mentioned that your earlier experience in the sci-fi genre was *Track* and *Forbidden Planet*, two awesome series films um let's kind of dig a little bit deeper in um those love and those that introduction to the sci-fi genre at that early age how did that transition into you writing stories like using those experiences and influences in your stories yeah well
1: how i how i came into writing i never had any uh, aspiration to be a writer. In fact, like years ago, I told you know my buddy Nick Cole, you know I'm a reader. I'm not a writer. You know that's my deal. I'm a reader. I'm not a writer. And uh, that sounds the, yeah,
3: very familiar, Jr.
1: <laughs> the, the, yeah, I think that happens to a lot of us, right? I mean, any any writer has to start out as somebody who loves that 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 you know part of the craft. Yeah. You know. Uh, but uh, like Nicole and Jason Onspa uh, used me for a lot of technical advice and uh, several other authors have uh, over the years have reached out to me and I've, you know, what do you think about this? Well, you know, it's easy to look at that scenario and say, okay, the, I, I see what you're going for, but here are the elements of what would make that realistic at some level that it would at least, you know, it would make sense. Um, and Jason and Nick used me for that quite a bit. Uh, you know, where I would lead into this, Nick, is like how it happened for me specifically is um, I've always been very, very dissatisfied with, uh, in most all fiction, military thrillers, which is really like my genre is is science fiction military thrillers more than like Space Marine. Uh, okay. But it's like, I have a real, I've got a real axe to grind because everybody who writes something that they think is high speed that has to do with special operations, uh, they get it wrong. Most they're of the time. wrong, man. They're wrong. And, and you know what? You don't have to have it right, you don't have to have it particularly realistic. Entertainment is the most important aspect of it. But I'm sure, like, you know, everybody's a veteran, right? You read, you you don't have to be a veteran to write military science fiction or or any literature. David
3: Weber is not a veteran and he is a grand master of it. But at the same time, you have to be very careful because those details can throw somebody out of the story. And fandom, nothing is more obsessive than fandom.
1: So the part about that is, is what I've always said is, is, Is as long as it is entertaining and it's well written, you get details wrong. This isn't wrong, this isn't right. You know, you're a million percent forgiven, right? It's not a problem, (laughs) and even for the veteran community and the people who know better, you're forgiven because you're entertaining us and you're inspiring us, or things like that, but you're not necessarily connecting with us on a on an experiential level. But I
3: think the other thing also is at least for veterans is we're used to people messing up our subculture.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: And telling us, I, I, I work with a guy who is a very nice guy, but telling me what about what it's like to be in the military is very interesting from a civilian.
1: I, I don't, I don't disagree with you, not at so. all. but, but the whole point being, um, You know, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive you for having those things wrong, or we'll forgive you where the order of battle doesn't make any sense, or we'll forgive you like, you know, what what tasks you have assigned to different characters. Was it entertaining? Was it fun? Right. My my original premise for all of this is where I went into writing and where I initially pitched Galaxy's Edge guys was (laughs) what about the veteran? Aha. So here's the thing. You know, when we all share books and we talk about, you know, what we're reading, what we like, and we go on, we all say, wouldn't it have been great if that writer had blank, 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 fill in the blank, right, with the character? Or they had only done this because they don't know. So part of it is, again, is casting your net wide, having a big tent, having everybody in, but what do you specifically do for the person who is the professional who knows better. Aha. So it's like Nick and Jason and galaxy's edge with the whole Legionnaires Legionnaire series done a very, very great job. And a big, big part, especially of Jason's desire is a lot of veteran outreach and things like that. And in a series that really, uh, uh, you know, was taken in by the veteran community very well. And, uh, uh, you know, the story is, uh, uh Nick and me and our wives were together in, in uh, Hollywood. It sounds really fancy, like uh, we we're big movers, <laughs> but it was a very nice restaurant, actually. We were in Hollywood having dinner one night, and I'd gotten a raging case of food poisoning from some bad holiday sauce that morning. <laughs> <Ooh>.
2: Feverish. audience, <laughs> yeah. be careful with holiday
1: sauce. Eat yeah, right. yeah, I've that's never that's had a problem with that, mine. But anyway, and Nick was kicking around ideas with me, and like out of the blue with some kind of like feverish uh, – you know, a uh, uh, stroke, I said, Hey man, you really ought to give me a shot at writing. Cause I have a really good idea for what to do in your series. And he says, I want it. I want it all. I want the detail and I want the realism and I want you to take us through and I want you to do all that. And I said, okay. And then like the next day I was better. And I looked in the mirror and I said, did you just tell Nicole that you could write a series? Oh, you, idiot. <laughs> you know, go, <laughs> you do that. So you've
3: gone uh, and told yourself.
1: What are you going to do? You know, I, I, write I, the I <laughs> my own English, right. I walked into my own tripwire or, or uh, what <laughs> happened. But, but uh, that is a true story, by the way. And it all worked out. But the, but the, the point of everything is, is exactly, is like being entertaining is great. Being inspiring is great. If you're trying to be educational in some way and teach and share common experience and reinforce principles and philosophy and things like that. You can't learn that by watching movies or reading books. You actually have to have done it. You've got you've got to have that kind of experience and being able to tell a story that that you know. I'm, I'm very very gratified with people tell me I love the books, I love the characters, I love the situations, I love the big tent. I want everybody, of course, to love the product that I'm putting out there. But when a fellow special operator says, you are the only guy who has come close to ever putting into a fictionalized form what we think, how we organize, what we do, the consequences of what we do, the effect that it has on us and things like that. So it's like I say, when a, when a brother from... 75th or from SF or, you know, from, you know, special warfare group, or one of those guys reach out to me and say, man, that was what you wrote in there. I've done that. And I thought the same thing. And we looked at things the same way. And that is just awesome. And then, you know, man, my heart is just full. My heart is absolutely full to know that, that then those guys are now, included and they're no longer the guys saying like, Hey man, this is what I read It's kind of corny, but it was funny. And you know, they, they, it's mostly wrong. Like everything. Instead, these guys are saying like, man, nobody has gotten it closer than you have gotten. And I love these books and I have everybody on the team read them and I sent them to all my friends and, you know, and it, they should be carrying them in the PX. It's like, wow, that is, that is awesome. So, they're not so-
0: the right now. Uh, I think they're working on that actually. Um, so you mentioned that you can tell when somebody has, uh, hasn't served and they've written, but sometimes even when you serve based on what you did and when you were in, you can still get details wrong. So oh, yeah. when that, ha- when that happens, can you read that book and be like, Oh, I know exactly who he was with and where he, when he was there.
1: I don't know necessarily that, 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 uh, has happened or comes to mind or something like that. Uh, uh, it's just even, you know, my neck of the woods, like I'll, I will tell you right now. Yeah, sure. I'm an army guy. You know what I know about like, uh, mounted patrolling and armor operations, nothing. Right. If you, if I had to write like a, a major like tank battle, I have to call my buddy cross who spent his life in armor, you know, who, who retired as a first sergeant, who that guy knows more about armored formations and stuff, right? I have to do my research. I just can't sit down and write that. I'm not an expert, right? Same with like, it would be ridiculous for me writing, you know, like an air-to-air combat scenario. I know nothing about that. That is not my gig. Special operations, however, aha. So part, part of my tenant with things like that is very popular in all levels of military thriller And in military science fiction, you know, the idea of the, the special operator is just, you know, it's romantic and people love to read about that and things like that. But the average person, even military author, and like I say, I'm not running people down. I sure hope nobody takes it like that. But they don't really understand what makes special special. And especially for the civilian writers trying to do those things, They have, they're, they're totally clueless. So one of my excellent friends who wrote a very, very, very nice book where he's trying to introduce like, you know, a special operations unit into this universe, you know, writes this scenario where there's a, there's a, uh, uh, you know, a a Marine company that's stationed in an FOB somewhere and the super secret squirrel guys come in you know, to do like special patrolling operations because the, the you know, the enemy force is really active in their area. To which, you know, I read that, I go, this person's a very good friend of mine. And one of the co-authors was like a Marine officer. And I go like, you know, excuse me, why would there be a special operator in that role? That is a, a an infantry company or an infantry battalion. They're... They already have the organic capability to be doing dismounted patrols everywhere and denying the enemy access to that area. They would have sniper observer teams everywhere, you know, interdicting movement of the enemy. They have organic fire support in the in the, in mortars. They have artillery that they can call on. They have close air support. Why would, it take,
2: they, they why would it
1: take a team of special operators to come in? And find the enemy. That's their job. So it's like one of the basic misconceptions about special operators in, in, in from any organization is the idea number one that somehow like they are more physically fit, right? Everybody writes something like that. The special operator, what's different about him is like he can do more push-ups and run faster.
3: That's because that's what they want everybody to believe, even in the army. Not, so.
1: Not yeah, well, within combat arms, right? Within combat arms, right? Humping a ninety-pound ruck for hundred miles is humping a ninety-pound ruck for hundred miles. It doesn't matter if you're airborne. Doesn't matter if you're a leg. Doesn't matter what color your beret is. Doesn't matter if you don't have a beret, right? Being a grunt is being a grunt, right? And that mm-hmm. is so, right? You don't need a green beanie to come in because he can hump more weight on his back, you know. <laughs> Retarded, you know. It's like you know you you know. I watched three kids hump a four-deuce up a mountain in Korea once by themselves. Two guys took that base plate for that four-deuce. Nick, was a four-deuce base plate way Crippling. You put that on my back. I'm going to the hospital the rest of my life. I don't life. know the
2: exact weight, but I know it is uh, soul-crushing.
1: Oh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, a couple hundred pounds. They strapped yes. it to that kid's back. Somebody else put the tube of that 4.2-inch mortar across his shoulders and, you know, humped <laughs> that up a Yama in South Korea. It's like, you you don't need someone from 75th or 7th group or CAG or dev group or anybody else to do that. In fact, they're all gonna tell you that's that's flat out ignorant. Don't do that.
2: Yeah, so in the regiment, we would strap that to a trailer and we drive yes,
1: it up the hill. Right, yeah, <laughs> somebody smart would do something smart, which is where I'm going with all of this, right? Right. So the idea every time somebody writes, yes, to be in special operations, you are superiorly fit. To be dangerous and to be able to do your job, but the idea that you were necessarily more fit than somebody in like a a combat infantry unit than a combat arms person, I, I that is not that is not an uh, you know on the average, yes, the special operator is more fit, but is as, as you know per individual or something like that. That's not necessarily true.
2: No, so, you're absolutely right. Uh, the thing that tries to separate us is our mentality and how we approach certain situations. Okay. So,
1: so, a big part of it then is writing about is like, when would it what are the conditions and the scenarios where it would be appropriate to have somebody from a special operations unit performing a specific mission or a task or something like that? Aha! Right? So, and then it gets into like, you know, where, you know, it's like one of the, uh, I think the very, very first book, the very first major scenario in Dark Operator in the first book is I'm doing a high value tactical call out. I'm taking through the scenario. I'm actually teaching how a high value tactical call out is is conducted. And it's conducted with indigenous troops on their planet. And that is very much a mission that only a special operator would be performing. That would not be performed by any other Element within any military anywhere, you know. uh, So, within special operations, right, within the world of SF and talking about unconventional warfare, counterterrorism, direct action, uh, you you know, things like that. When you're talking about the law enforcement, special operations world, about uh, barricade suspect, hostage rescue, uh, contain and call out high risk warrants and high, high risk, uh, uh, you know, apprehension and things like that, even like public venue support. So first of all, it's the kind of missions and the capabilities to perform those missions that I primarily write about and how in the larger scenario, these people and their skills are utilized, they're misutilized in the, the conflicts that that creates and, and what it takes to do to do all of that. So that's like a, a, that's my big thing, right? You know, it's like no good for, you know, Commander Cody whizzes through space and runs into the room with a knife in one hand on a lightsaber, and he does three triple somersaults, and he kills 12 people, stuff like that. I mean, that's really cool. I dig reading stuff like that. But if you're writing that, is the raison d'etre of your space Navy SEAL, you know, it's like Seska and Jr. and John and Nick read that and go like, "Well, you know, it was kind of entertaining. It's really kind of campy, but it's trash." Yeah, you it's
2: actually ridiculous. Clones aren't force sensitive. You know, right? Exactly. So, so, but <laughs>
1: it's, it's that kind of a deal, right? So that's uh, that's why I write military thrillers. It, it's it was it was definitely the ability to uh, to take the the realistic and to set it up in a fashion where the, the the fan who is now immersed into this future timeline and what's going on, uh, is able to relate to how things are actually done, how we analyze those problems, how we solve them, the aftermath, uh, the conflicts and things like that. And, uh, and ideally, educate, entertain, and, and also bring some sense back to about why things are the way they are in the real world. You know, if you read Pornell or Niven or Heinlein or anybody who really focused on the rational human element of things, no matter what the timeline was set in, it gave you a, 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 a look into things that were happening all around you now. Uh, in current oh, of history and things like that, and that's what that's what I've always really enjoyed.
2: You're doing such a good I job. What, the was. what was the question? I just well, you've been answering. You answered like six work. of you them, which all is all awesome because right I could listen to you talk all day. To be to be honest,
0: though. That's All thing. right, so well, what you didn't answer is uh, 15. So, so Saska I, I just noticed he didn't answer that one. So, if you could ask that one real quick, and we'll prep to show the cover because it's sexy. <laughs>
3: Um, now to the writing part, do you ever draw from people you knew in the military?
1: Um, I write almost exclusively about things that I have done and the people I have done them with or the kinds of things that are, you know, experiential to my tribe. Um, you know, so that is, that is exactly, uh, what I write about. Uh, you know so there's stuff like like that book dark operator so let's like there's a, a scenario i set up there which is a very common one where where the the character is sent uh to a developing planet within the the republic as a uh, advisor and really as a is a spy uh trying to trying to develop a picture of what's going on in the world and a really common scenario that happens in, uh, in uh, guerrilla and urban warfare is where the uh, the insurgents collect taxes from the locals. And it's a real common, very common in, uh, was really common in El Salvador and Colombia, Bolivia, Peru, you know, where the insurgents would, uh, outside of uh, a fairly well-to-do area uh, in a major urban zone would set up a checkpoint and either you know take hostages or collect taxes at gunpoint. Very common real-world scenario. Uh, it happens all the time. Uh, I set that scenario up, except like our hero, you know, was kitted out and he had the ability to go out there and, and uh, do a counter ambush. And uh, I think it was like a one-on-five or a one-on-seven gunfight that he ended up winning. Uh, I've never been in a one-in-five or a one-in-seven gunfight.
2: You know, <laughs> the rule, it did not
1: did not do so, that. right. Somebody goes one, three to one. the ratio we
2: hey, want? Hey, actually did.
1: Well, heck, Dark Operator, man, that character, you know, man, he like he like seven dudes by himself. You know, he he uh, he uh, filled in seven dudes. You know, by superior tactics and uh, aggressiveness. Yeah, <laughs> I've never done that. I've never done that. I've never, I've never, I've never filled in seven dudes by myself. So, so but
3: understand But we've you're done. Okay. So you just said that maybe gun wise, you may not be as cool as your character, but you know, your first name no, is not.
1: <laughs> I've never said that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I'm a, I'm a better gunfighter than the character I write about.
3: Well, but good. That's good.
1: I've never been in that. I've never done that. You
3: know. Okay. You've never done that one. So looking at the cover, cause you were just talking about it. Um, you say your name's Doc Spear. I assume Spears. I assume your mom did not name you Doc in hopes of great medical aspirations. But- I, I'm
1: John. I'm John. Actually, Doc, I did not end up being called Doc. <laughs> until but I assume
3: thought- it probably has to do with a uh, moniker from your time in.
1: <laughs> no, it does not. I was never. I was an 18 Delta, which is a okay. special forces medic. Uh, in addition to my my other things so i was a uh i was a primary medic on a uh, a team for a long time but i was never called doc i was never called doc that came out years later when i was working for eag for pat rogers uh uh-huh. and uh and like i say military and law enforcement students call me doc and it's like i always say it's like don't call me doc cuz whenever somebody calls me doc they're getting ready to ask me about some kind of bodily discharge that they want me to look at. And that ain't why I'm here, man. I'm your weapons and tactics instructor. You know, go to the emergency room and show them that thing. I'm not interested. But, uh, but, that was
2: uh, my next there's, question. Right. There's a lot of that. <laughs> it's
1: like I say, that's a so, so I ended up getting called doc all the time, and especially when you have a lot of jarheads around. Uh, you know, God bless them. You know, you're a doc regardless. Uh, and things like that, and then it just stuck. It was actually Nicole Cole, uh, Nick's wife, who you know, I said, Well, you know, you're gonna come out with it, you know, is it gonna be John Doc Spears, you know, you know, parentheses doc? And she said, I hate that, I hate when it's like somebody's name and then a, you know, a quotation mark, you know, nickname. It's like I said, Okay, I'll just go with Doc Spears, and you know, so now I don't fight it anymore, I don't fight it, but I, but I primarily answer to John.
2: Well, you've got. Two of the names of another famous doc throughout history, one John Doc Holiday. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, that's, oh, that would be a great sub. Asso- you
1: know, who doesn't love that association? That's awesome. Yeah. He planned it just like that. It was this
0: intention all along. You caught him.
1: Yes. I, yes. <laughs> I'm totally lying right
2: now. No, I've never noticed that. That's no, that. I never that's noticed that, that before. It's a,
0: <laughs> so, who doesn't want we, to be called Doc? So did you use any of that medical training when you when you left the
1: Army, or did you jump right into Tactical Forge? I had a break in there. I had the bright idea to, like, get an advanced education, which went on and on and on and on. As they do. Yeah, yeah, never-ending, things like that. So, yes, I do. I, I'm a, I, uh, I am a board-certified surgeon, uh, and I still have my hand in for, for that, but uh, – but uh, that's not, I don't I don't hide it. I'm not I'm not ashamed of the fact that I am a surgeon. Uh, so but if you want to send pictures, <laughs> of the ra- mean, that's not my primary. Th- my primary thing is, is like I say, is a is a is a, uh, uh, is a uh, weapons and tactics trainer. That's my that's my primary persona. But if you do want to send pictures of your weird rashes, send them to
0: Nick at NickCole.com. He'll, <laughs> love, he'll love to see that stuff.
1: Got to uh, Doc
2: in a comic book. got some That's kind it. of
1: greenish leak coming out of somewhere. <laughs> he would like to diagnose that for you.
0: <sighs> so transitioning from the writing and biography side of the world, let's talk about things from the from the fan angle. So have you gotten any cool fan art or had anybody cosplay your stuff yet?
1: Um. The... the uh, the cosplay, there was one, but my wife uh, made me unfriend that person on Facebook, and now I can't look at that fan page anymore. Uh,
2: <laughs>
1: so that was, that was a yes. But, That's uh, a total but bummer,
2: I, but do we want to put a link in the comments? Or? <laughs> <laughs>
1: but uh, I was, yeah, it was it was right off of one of the book covers, too, and I was totally down with it. But, That's awesome. Um, <laughs> what was I going on? On the Galaxy's Edge fan club page and on the Galaxy's Edge Insiders, we have a an awesome fan uh, who does Lego recreations. And he has recreated most of my book covers uh, in Legos of the characters and the settings and some of the major scenes from the books. So to, to uh, have it immortalized in three dimensions in Legos, I think, is has uh, been one of the... Uh, uh highest compliments I've received. That is that is just baller cool, you know, because
2: I love Legos. He,
0: he actually he did one of you Legos. He, he did one of you as the author too, which was kind of you looked a little grumpier on the Lego though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know how you gonna 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 take this and you know and, and make it as, as cheery as I as I really am on the inside. You know, I look like this on the outside. You know on the inside, <laughs> You
0: know, I really am. Um, so was- you you started writing right as the, or publishing, I should say, right as the pandemic and the world went a little crazy. So I know you haven't had any chance to do any of the cons because they've all been shut down. But uh, have you gotten anybody asking for your autograph outside of that kind of stuff, either before or after you started writing?
1: Uh, before, writing for, yes, I was I was inf- infamous for other things before this. <laughs> Uh, so it was, it was fairly common to, uh, to have me have to sign some of the other media I've done and things like that. Of course, that was a, a real, uh, a big one. I had done a, a series of, of videos for a, uh, a training company called Panteo, uh, who did a lot of stuff like Larry Vickers and Pat Rogers and Paul Howe and, uh, Ernest Langdon other people within the, the tactical and shooting community and, uh, I was with Pat Rogers. Uh, we were teaching, uh, the first Beretta defense symposium at Blackwater. Uh, and, uh, anyway, Pat and I had just finished uh, a teaching gig for the morning with all of these VIPs and dignitaries. And we're, if you ever been to Blackwater, uh, uh, going over to the chow hall and everybody lining up there. And there's a bunch of guys out there and they're really super, you know, high speed dudes, you know? And, uh, the one guy says like, that's Pat Rogers. And then the other guy says, and that's Doc Spears, <laughs> you know, which was, uh, which was like a highlight of my life, you know, being recognized, of course, and there with my brother, Pat Rogers, but, uh, But yeah, and I get uh, folks all the time who hit me up who, uh, you know, want me to, uh, uh, you know, autograph books, which is really, really cool. And I'm always happy to do that. You know, there's still uh, a lot of folks who prefer the the print edition. And it's a lot nicer than autographing people's Kindles, to tell you the truth. You know, so. (laughs)
0: they tend to frown on that when you sign their Kindles.
3: Actually, I know somebody who literally after her first Kindle wrote, no, she had a Nook, but she had one of the first-gen Nooks. She then framed it after getting all these people. She took it to cons, got everybody to sign it. She oh, then framed well.
1: it. I think it's awesome. I yeah. think it's just to frame my yeah. chest. She or did say
3: that it it's a, a tricky thing because paint pens. Um, uh,
1: exactly. I all right, next question. I always carry a metallic silver paint pen for just that opportunity.
2: <laughs> Always prepared the operator that you are, sir. Uh, <laughs> um, have you ever spotted anyone reading one of your books out in the out in the wild out in the open range?
1: I have I have not. I have not, but you know what? It's like my five books have only been out in the wilds for eight months. You know, oh, so there's time. There's time. So just so my, up. my first title got released on Audible. Kindle in print uh, in at the end of May 20, 2020. So I've had and uh, book five in that series, Angles of Attack, just hit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, So it's been only in eight months that I've had five books come out on all those platforms so i just haven't had the uh the staying power out there to you know see people out in the in the airport you know grooving on my books they've
3: all also been confined so
1: yeah Yeah, exactly stay home you filthy pig
3: i mean at this point how do you find somebody in the wild are you going to go find them like hunting deer That wait that's a bad idea
0: Given that he's an operator and probably knows a little bit more than the average bear when it comes to guns, probably not a big idea, great idea
2: to stalk him. Just saying,
3: no, 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 no. I meant he would go find them.
2: I would now, only operators can stalk operators. That's rule one. We know that. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I don't go stalking anybody.
2: Right. Usually we just go up with a handshake and we become friends. I would spend right.
1: everyone's privacy. They don't and they don't they don't really want me up in their personal space anyway.
2: All right, we'll save it us do. for I ourselves, I, Nick. I, I want you over for cigars and beers anytime. anytime.
1: Man. Next anytime. question is you, Nick. We gotta, we gotta hit the we gotta hit the long range, you gotta come to my place.
2: We'll go. I would over. love to. I got a um I got an 24 that's just collecting dust in the closet in California right now. So okay, oh, beautiful. Somebody, somebody, somebody on the
1: G fan page the other day just posted up. Uh they were just like through Benning and posted up pictures of uh the US Army sniper school schoolhouse sign and all that. And it's like established 1987. And they tagged me and I said, ha ha, you know, uh, I was actually a, you know, Top Gun graduate of like class 487. I'm a plank holder from the inaugural year. And I like threw up, I found, I found a class photo and threw it up and told some stories and things like that. I actually was one of the testers of the M24. Nice. <laughs> well, thank you. You approved
2: it because it is a phenomenal instrument of shooting. Sure.
1: But yeah, you got to grab that and come on out. And I got uh, I got you know steel out to thirteen hundred yards uh, where I teach and train at and stuff like that. So you're you're welcome to come out and we will bang steel all day and night. Get the clip-ons. Uh,
2: oh, God running. bless you, too.
1: And do our deal, and then uh, get a fire going, and and uh, cigars and brewskis. That's always a good thing. Little Ranger
2: TV going, aka the fire pit.
1: Dang, it's great man!
2: <laughs> nothing, nothing. Uh, finally, what's the weirdest or funniest story about interaction with a fan that you've had since you started writing, if you have one?
1: No, like I say, the, the the fan interaction has been uh, has been fairly limited. Though I get a I get a kick out of reviews. You know, it's like, uh, you know, my friends are like the first one to say, like, just see how many stars you got. Never read the reviews, um, you know, which is usually pretty good advice. But I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm following the bad advices. And I. <laughs> so uh, so I read, you know, I read and I love the ones that go. It's like, oh, my God, too much detail. Uh, and uh, I, I the the guys you know, really knows what he's talking about, but it's just, uh, he's not a very good writer. And then I love the one, there's another one that's on the very same, like the next review is, the guy's a really good writer and he's not repetitive and he has a real good flair for the language, but he really doesn't know much about military tactics. <laughs> I saw yeah, that you know, one. Those are my two favorite back-to-back reviews, you know. Oh, lordy. Yeah. There's one on Audible that says, did this
2: guy even range, bro? That was the yeah, entire yeah. review. the movie. <laughs> I love it. Oh. And then when you tell them how he did range, and as a baby ranger, we all look at SF and Delta as like, you know, in the pantheon of the SOCOM gods, like we're very low tier, you know. So we look at, you know, the green beanies going, oh, they train snakes to eat other snakes. And then the Delta boys are like, oh, that's one day I want to be that, you know. It's it's so funny when someone that's never operated or even thrown a rucksack on wants to talk smack. It's yeah, it's fun. It's
1: fun. It's a, like I say, it's a big world, and you know, it's like I say, if you found them in their mom's basement, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't be as vocal. It's like you know, it's my type as <laughs> it it's like you know, people get real comfortable, you know, talking smack over the internet, you know, whereas face to face, you get punched square between the runaways. Oh, yeah.
2: oh, we need
1: that's to go back. I don't want to punch anybody. I love everybody.
2: I do, but some people I would really like to uh, have a stern talking to out in the real world. outside of Okay, guys.
1: <laughs>
3: so, um,
1: With threatening violence over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Barbarian was on last night. I was watching the bed, so my wife is really mad at me that I'm going around
2: talking like Arnold all day. Usually, it's, it's not a problem. We do that quite well,
3: a bit. can you give us your best Arnold as you give us the Reader Digest version of Dark Operator?
1: Oh no, that would be that would be that would be terrible. I, I won't I won't go into that. But oh. uh, uh, the I will tell you this: the Dark Operator series as a series, it uh, within the Galaxy's Edge series. If you're at all familiar with that, of course, Jr. is you know intimately familiar since he is a mm-hmm. fellow author within the, the GE uh, Pantheon uh, tells the story of a military unit in the future known as the Legion. And the Legion is an independent uh, military entity above the army and the Marines and things like that, that were established to fight a existential threat called the savages. And the, uh, the series starts with a book called Legionnaire, which is occurring at a period at the at, right at the end of the Savage Wars, or actually, the Savage Wars have ended, and now the entire Galactic Republic is going in different directions, and there's a lot of political machinations, or is it machinations? However, you say that word, uh, going on. Dark, the Dark Operator series is specifically about. A a subset of the Legion known as Dark Ops, which, you know, whether the creators knew it or not when they created it, is the covert action arm of the Legion. And it's set in a period, two to three military generations before the events of Legionnaire, talking about the things that happened at the end of the Savage Wars uh, and how events during that period of time affect what happens in the next you know big big season one and season two and things like that. And it primarily follows one character, Kel Turner uh, as a young legion dark ops operator uh, taking him through the different levels of mission and training and leadership and conflict and you know, and very much uh, it is written, as it develops as, you know, initially he's a young man with young man problems. And then he develops into a more mature person and how uh, he deals with his life, you know, as a dark operator versus trying to develop more fully as a human being, um, you know, within the confines of what it is that he has to do. And he certainly goes through a lot of uh, very difficult trials and he's affected very deeply uh, by the things that he's done and the things that he's seen. And uh, so a big part of that is certainly, uh, you know, not not necessarily my personal experience, but the experience many of us have had who've been on the two way shooting range, uh, who at some point have to come back home and try and figure out how you're going to, you know, uh, get on with being a regular human being. So, so
2: Nora-
0: Normally, when we ask you how, where the inspiration came, which you already gave us, we say, "Was it uh, psychedelics or food poisoning?" You're the first one that actually is really food poisoning. It, so. it
1: actually was. Yes. No. It was. That is full on a true story. Try well, and not lose it from both ends while I, you know, feverishly <laughs> pitch, you know, uh, you know, very well established, award-winning author Nick Cole that I should that you should let me write in uh, in your universe. So uh,
0: let's segue directly into talking more about Kel Turner. But before we do that, we're going to talk about that cover. So that's what's up on the screen right now for the first book in the series. And it's a very it's sexy awesome image. Color. How much uh, role did you get in picking that cover? or Was that all Jason and Nick? No,
1: I, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in a super fortunate position. Jason and Nick have really given me just uh, carte blanche. And, of course, I haven't ever pitched him anything bad. So that's worked out. But we have a great artist, uh, Tommaso Ranieri uh, in Italy. And what I do from the story is I get a lot of clip art uh, or I get a lot of pictures or I dig through my photo albums and I send them a bunch of stuff and I say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. So like this cover was, you know, uh, for that series, uh, very unusual for a Legionnaire to not be in his full like battle armor is he sent to a country that essentially a planet that essentially the Republic has ITAR restrictions on and he can't take all of his armor with him. He's got to go and operate with what those dudes have available. Cause uh, you know, the the Republic department of state, you know, will penalize him for doing such. So that's why we got a guy who looks like something very much with like a pretty conventional slug thrower, plate carrier, helmet. He's got his optics package and things like that. uh, And that's why it looks kind of like that. Do you have any of the other covers? Uh, Not right. Well,
2: let me see if I have them. I
0: actually do. Give me a second. I can get them. So while I I get
2: them wrong, Tommaso has done a lot of artwork for the the Galaxy Edge series. Yes, we put him to work
1: on all kinds of stuff. And the stuff that he has done for me in the Dark Operator series is just crazy. But uh, it's like the second book, uh, is a book that's very much like a, uh, a UW scenario. Some people have likened it to uh, if you've read Lions of Kandahar, uh, very similar. Uh, you know, work, you know, working with an indigenous uh, force. And uh, anyway, the aliens on that, uh, in that, on that planet, who they're working with. My inspiration, what I sent to Tomaso is, I went to like Space Ghost Coast, Coast to Coast. And I found oh, wow. a picture. I found a picture of Zorak, and I said, the "Aliens are space Zoraks." And I sent him a picture of Zorak, and I go like, "So now it's like Legionnaire in full armor with space Zoraks. Go to town!" And that's what he gave me. There
2: it is. yeah, I'm a huge fan of Tommaso's work. Uh, game recognizes game as an artist myself. Oh, of um, course, man. Oh, god, phenomenal, wonderful dude, wonderful
1: dude. The th- the th- I won't go up through each book, but like the third book is actually I think the sexiest cover of anything in the GE universe. There's a book called No Fail, uh, and it is uh, and it is his visual representation of what I describe as a as a orbital free fall insertion. Oof, airborne. <laughs> so, all right, well hold safe. on, I could show you that one
0: real quick as well.
1: Oh, so, beautiful um, cover! It's it it is the best cover in the GE universe. And I will like I will like fight anybody who says different. Oh, look at that! You know they don't that's have uh, like foreign... a, that's like a small panel from the Audible. The full panel where you know he's like he's 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 uh, he's in a they're in a track upside down inverted, inserting into this planet uh, that's like a ice moon with volcanoes and uh, stuff like that. The full panel is absolutely brilliant.
2: That, that is so cool. I mean, taking Halo to a whole nother level, you know? Yeah, it's,
1: a, yeah, it's kind of fun. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I sent them. I, you know, pulled out a bunch of, like, MFF pictures and uh, sent them. And I say, okay, so now our dudes, you know, and they got, like, uh, robot dogs with them. And uh, they're going to, like insert and, uh, and the planet below, you should, it's like an ice planet, but there's like, it's got a Terminator side because it's tidally locked and there's like volcanoes on one side. And, and, uh, I didn't even get to see it. Uh, at first is like Nick, Nick, uh, sent me a, Nick Cole sends me a text and he says, you don't get to have this cover. (laughs) I'm going to write it. We're going to write another book and use this cover because you don't deserve it.
2: Uh, I I would love to, I would like to have like a print of all those covers and frame them and hang them in my office. They're that cool.
3: Some (laughs) authors do do that. Do you do that, Doc?
2: Um, You know what? Up on like if uh,
1: anybody, if you go to like my Facebook or if you go to the Galaxy's Edge fan club, uh, I have my wife just, I put it up there. My wife uh, got the high res of all five books and and put them into a shadow box for me with nice. a little plaque with all of the, you know, uh, release dates and things like that, which was, which was a big surprise. So I took a very Aww. nice picture of her, uh, in, in, uh, in my den holding all of that. But, uh, yes, exactly. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, five panel series of those covers, which, uh, you know, in many ways are, uh, is, is better than the books. <laughs> Who said that? So, Ooh, they're every bit as good as the books. They tell the reader how awesome the books are. So but yeah, what do you, also is the real deal. So what do you think makes a good fit for the military
0: thriller or military sci-fi genre that you love to read for when it comes to covers?
1: What speaks to you in general terms? Hmm. Well, you know, with any cover, I love art that is like making me guess what the story is. You know, I love that kind of art. You know, the golden age sci-fi art. You know, that's the that that goes back to a very early conversation I had with the GE guys. It's like I I'm telling them I want a golden age cover, and they're like, you can't have a golden age cover because we're not writing golden age sci-fi. And I said, well, then how do I disguise all of this and fool them so they don't know that they're getting a modern version of a golden age cover? So for all these covers I feel like it, it they you know they do what I love when I'm looking for a book. I want to look at that cover and say what is the story that this is telling me? You know, some golden age stuff like if anybody's ever seen like the original cover for like Starship Troopers? Yes. The I old original cover where it's some sort of quasi is it a bug? Is it a spaceship? Is like you don't know what it is. You know. No, I I know before, what you you know uh you know, there's not much story You're to talking it. about
3: because I've done that. Where uh, I read a lot of the Golden Age stuff growing up, and it was I would read through a book until, and if I didn't see, think I found that scene, I would go back and reread the book till I exactly. found the scene that the oh, cover oh,
2: yes,
1: I'm with you a million percent. That is exactly right. So. Uh, and of course, you know, with with uh, with trade pub, and very much in those days, you know, you know the 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 input an author gets into that aspect of the development zero. You know, so. yeah. You know, the author got no, no input into all that, whatever, whatever, whatever the the publisher said, that's what the cover was. And that was going out. That's what you got.
3: But with Tried Pub, they've done some more, they've gotten a little bit more friendly with some of that back it, and forthness on it,
1: which is great. To have. So I know, you know my, like my very good friend, Karen Travis would, would probably argue the converse to that, but
3: yeah. Well, not e- not everybody i know i had a friend who um did a story for bane and they went was editing and it went oh wow the cover artist came back with this we need somebody to write this story
1: yeah well so, bane is the exception now isn't it yeah or that was one of the early covers for starship Troopers. Mm. yeah that's uh, you're exactly right but yeah i mean bane bane is an exception bane as being trade pub is you know they love their authors
3: they do then they're you know very lovable as a company i would say, I would
1: say like simon and schuster i would say that they don't necessarily love their authors or not a lot of them
0: uh, all right well we're not here to talk about bane we're here to talk about doc spear so let's get this
1: yes. party
2: back on the yes baby jr it's about me it's all about you this you're you're the uh you're this is your party. party this is your party
1: no, too just kind. No, right
2: here. Balloons here.
1: <laughs> no, I totally just to, uh, to, uh, uh, in a very short period of time have been able to, uh, you know, get, get, uh, a, a wedge into the, the world of fandom and appeal to people and then have people, uh, uh, acting as advocate advocates on my behalf to try and get one of my books recognized, uh, uh, by by DragonCon is a is an absolutely amazing occurrence. Like you know, just just to have anybody I even mean, even talk about something like that just has my head swimming with the you know the unreality of it all. I'm 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 sincerely blown away that you know I you know I don't really think that I have a shot at getting a nomination, but just the fact that people consider my work good enough to 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 work on my behalf to try and get a nomination. Just like I say, my heart is full. My heart's never been fuller. That that makes all the all the work
3: with the awards, the nice thing is it doesn't matter if you're trad pub or indie, it's you're just as likely to get a nomination with the Dragon Awards, which is great. But Nick really wanted to ask you our next question.
2: I'm here. Wow. Wow. Are you driving the bus too? Yeah. And you
1: (laughs) are All right, Ranger. Hey, uh, I know you're not supposed to be patrol leader, but uh, uh, no, no. Uh, here,
2: here hey, you got. When in, when in charge, charge, be in charge. You got a half hour to give me a complete uh, <laughs> patrol order and go. And go. Who's next? Uh, which science fiction tropes do you think uh, Dark Operator hits the best?
1: Um, um. Yeah, boy, you. boy, you got me. You got me on that one. You know. Now I'm gonna. Gonna have to uh, think about that. Uh, uh, well, certainly, it's like I, it's uh, uh, it's hard to say. It's like I say, it's not really the, the traditional space marine. Very much, I hit the thriller aspect, and that's how that's how Audible and Amazon have have classified my works as is, is as uh, military thrillers, uh, because I try and I try and have some element of mystery and surprise. Uh, and that there's definitely there's definitely uh, uh, problems and unknowns that have to be discovered and solved by the, the characters. So I think the biggest aspect of that is certainly uh, I I believe in the res- the the absolute resiliency of the individual and the importance of the the importance of the individual above all. And that's kind of something I always try and communicate with whatever I'm doing through through my writing is, you know, that someone would would come away with that and say, you know, yep, you know, the old, the old, the old, you know, a a person should not be a specialist. They should be able to captain a boat, dig a ditch, you know, change the, the diaper on a baby, plan an ambush, you know. Uh, you know, uh, cook a mean prime rib. You know, a person has got to be able to do all of those things and that it's through, you know, discipline and dedication and belief in yourself uh that you become that kind of capable and important individual who can contribute uh, to society as well as, you know, helping to find a place for yourself in the world. And I hope that that's that kind of uh, independent, strong, rugged individualism like we would expect from John Wayne in The Searchers is the kind of trope that comes through
3: what uh, I'm writing. So you've told us some I don't about know what I said
1: character. there. I just, I just went for it. And you did phenomenal, sir. <laughs> so God bless you.
3: You've told us some about your main character, but were there any secondary characters that really stood out that you wanted to touch on?
1: Um, in every book, I have some some very, very you know strong secondary characters. you know certainly the my my main character's team members develop very, very uh, heavily throughout all of the books. Uh, and uh, uh, you know people have asked me uh, you know if the main character if I if I am the main character, if I think of myself, it, you know when I'm writing the main character, and the answer is nope, not once, not ever. There are there are secondary characters in there who who I do think of myself, uh, you know, and they're the people who have all of the worst, uh, the worst qualities, you know, you know, Nick would relate to that. I'm mean, J.R. Well, you know, is the guy who always says the wrong thing at the wrong time when he was supposed to shut up. You know, when there's a scene in there, I am thinking of myself, you know, because that was the, that was the guy I was. You know, I was that
2: guy too. In my platoon.
1: <laughs> yeah. The young E five, the young E six, who it's like, you know, sh- dude, shut up. You are digging. Shut up,
2: numbers. Carl. Right. <laughs> it's all that.
1: I had, I had many experiences in many countries working out of mill groups and embassies uh, where I dealt with high level, uh, uh, foreign dignitaries, military and civilian dignitaries, including presidents. Um, there is a character that I write in Dark Operator, uh, who is a very important leading character, who uh, uh, that I actually took from personal experience from somebody who I saw rise to the presidency of his country, who I knew very well, and I wrote that character uh, from that personal experience. Uh, and most of those, most of the books where I go through and they and uh, their interactions with secondary characters, ambassadors. Uh, uh, you know, industrial magnets, uh, people like that are people that I am writing from direct experience. Uh, You know, there's a very strong secondary character in my fifth book uh, who was a gift from God uh, was I was teaching a a, a TQB operations class a couple of years ago and my partner let in a pair of SWAT guys from an agency we'd never heard before. But the lead SWAT guy, the lieutenant, had this long list of accomplishments, including he had been like a a pilot and done all of these things in the military. And we, my partner let him in the class. And the guy was the biggest jackass and an idiot. And he pontificated on stuff. His uh, weapons manipulation and safety was terrible. I wanted to send him out the gate every day. uh, But we got him through it. And then on the last day on the AAR, he got up and he savaged the instructor, the instructors and the POI that we taught. He was that kind of individual. And uh, while, you know, one of the students in the front rank uh, who's from a uh, tier one unit. uh, uh, Refused to turn his head because he was waiting for me to get up and like put this guy out of his misery but I'm older and nicer now, and I didn't do that. Uh, but I sent that I sent that clown down the road, and we all laughed about it. And you know, entire class, the other you know, the other twenty guys on team shook their heads. And then I said, you know what? That is now the inspiration for a major character, and I rewrote the whole first half of my fifth book based around this character. being the leader of one of the Republic Army brigades who was a total clown, and I quoted this guy verbatim within the book. Men, and I call you men because we can only do what men can do. And it is important that as men that we tell each other that often and frequently. You know, it does no good to lie. And uh, just like the mirror doesn't lie when we see results from the gym and I swear to God, that is exactly the kind of shit that this guy would say. Uh, it was unbearable. Nick, you would have, you would have like, you know. Do you know Chris Sizelove, Nick? No, personally, I don't know him. Sizelove, right, Sizelove. He was regimental master breacher. He just retired a couple years ago. No, I uh, know his
2: name and his yeah. reputation. I, I've never got like, an opportunity
1: to meet him personally. Chris is one of my, he, we, he's uh, one of our directors at Forge. Uh, and we worked together. Anyway, Chris was in the class with me. We just shook our head. But when the end of it, I said, like, I am going to make that guy infamous and he will live forever. And that is exactly what I did. So sometimes oh, wow. God sends you these gifts that you don't recognize at the time as gifts. But God <laughs> sent you with that individual and awesome yes. and better better than blackballing him from all Forge Tactical classes forever uh, you know, he was the great inspiration, <laughs> the best dialogue I've ever written for a jackass uh, in my life. So
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yes. Good times. Good times. So, so, sorry for that detour. Sorry for that detour, but uh, <laughs> you're you know,
2: fine.
1: No, you're it's great. Great. say, you know, great. Art imitates life or something like that.
2: Next question is you, Nick. Okay. And we're jumping straight to, which one are we doing? 34. Okay. Oh my Uh, God. Everything's numbered and I just re, you know, exposed the magician's magic. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of characters, uh, if you ever met one of your characters in a back alley, how would they treat you after the hell you've put them through? How do you see that interaction play it out?
1: You know what is because the journey that I put those people through has made them better. And they wouldn't want to kick my ass in a back alley. They probably want to thank you. You'd think they'd, they'd want to sit down with me and have a beer and say, you know, man, I I understand now. You know where you're coming from. You know, I had that. The, you know that conversation happened for me many many years ago when I was a youngster with a fella uh, who uh, had been an engineer in England who emigrated to Rhodesia uh, because the colonies were the only place you could get a job in the fifties, uh, and he. And he dynamited the Ford plant into rubble uh, when they pulled out of Rhodesia and he emigrated to America. And he and Roy used to sit down. He owned a bar and I was a, I used to bounce at his bar and he would sit down and he'd say, "Ah, John, you don't know. He says, but, you know, I'm the old lion. You're the young lion. You've got to learn from the old lion. All the thing that's happened to me is going to happen to you, mate. And, you know, take it from the old lion. So when I think about all these guys, that's exactly what I'd say. They say, say like, you're still the young lion. Listen to the old lion because all the things you're going through, there is a way out of them. And you're going to come through it and you're going to be better for it.
3: You know what? I think you may be the first author to say that they wouldn't want to hurt you or kick your ass. Just, yeah.
2: just the record, right I know all of my triggers <laughs> want to beat the crap out of me.
1: They would want—they would want me to show them how to how to take a half second off their draw time from
2: appendix. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I could use that. Who couldn't? Uh, that? All right. back to me, Jr. Yeah, uh, yeah, number twenty-five. All right, could you take Kel Turner in a fight?
1: I am an old man. No, not in a fair fight. But you know, you fight fair, then you haven't planned correctly.
2: Exactly. I'm a Your big. Planning sucks, in, you find yourself in a fair fight.
1: I am a big believer in the mechanical ambush. Right? If Kel, if I knew Kel Turner were coming after me, you know, uh, believe me, uh, you know, uh, he would he wouldn't get within arm's reach of me. Not gonna happen.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> All
0: right. So you're you're making our job a little difficult, Doc, because you're answering all of them a little bit out of order. So we're we're bouncing around on the fly. But it's good with it. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of the worlds that you write in, we all know that this was written in the galaxy Edge universe. We talked about that
1: briefly. Uh, Could you could you read this as a standalone or do you have to be familiar with the universe? Very much so. You would have no problem picking up uh, the book one of Dark Operator and that there's enough information within there to give you the the idea of the setting within the universe. And uh, and if you've done that, it should absolutely drive you to want to read Nick and Jason's books in there and it would it would work out perfectly. All by grand design.
0: All right. And so Dark Operator is clearly part of a series. We know we've talked about that there are currently five books out, but uh, is there more? What's
1: next for these characters? There is more for these characters. There is. You know, every, uh, the, uh, I got advice from uh, somebody a long time ago. It's like, end every book as though it could be the last. You know, but leave the but leave the trail of the bread comes, You know, going into the rock face wall. You know, that's like there's a there's a path somewhere through this, but I can't find the hidden path. So it, it seems to be the end, but it's not. But every one of my books, you know, seems to close on itself and end, but yet, but but yet to keep going, but yet to keep speaking more books
0: that people have to read and buy. So what he's telling you is if you keep buying them, he'll keep writing them.
1: Yeah, there is that. No, there, no, there are more books coming out in this series. The characters have many more uh, adventures. There, there are things that, uh, that they are going to have to use their skills uh, to, to, uh, uh, to bring them to bear for the benefit of the universe themselves and the people that they love. Uh, there is, there will be an ending to it, but it's not coming too soon. Good to know. You'll know when it's an ending. Cause I'm going to say, it's like, this was the end of the series. You know? It'll say the end. I won't pick anybody. I won't, there won't, there will be no ambiguity about it. I will say then the end and they all failed to live happily ever after. And you're supposed to go home and cry now. <laughs> On that happy <laughs> note, the next question is yours. Cesca.
3: So Every literary universe that we really like as fans has its own internal consistency and in roles of science, technology. Um, what can we expect from your books?
1: Uh, mine was very, was very simple. You know, and it's, it's difficult. You know, it's like I say, uh, uh, Karen Travis is one because she is written in so many other well-established universes. You know, the Gears of War universe and the Halo universe and the Star Wars universe, things like that. We're, uh you know talking about that with her over the years is you know about how she you know fell into having to obey the the rules of their universe and their technologies and their terminology and and things like that i, I find it very difficult i mean I, I i i didn't find it too difficult with galaxy's edge uh because already being a fan and already of course reading all of the source material and you know and like you know, knowing that they're like anti-gravity engines are called repulsors and knowing that, you know, that, you know, that they're, uh, you know, <laughs> now I'm going to screw up because I can't remember any of the terminology, but they, <laughs> they have things like that. My addition into that was to, was to be more uh, technical and illustrative of some of that. Part of that gets into, like I say, uh, the, 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 the prima facie reason why I write these things is to, to be educational as well as uh, entertaining. A big part of that when you're talking about, you know, things that military guys do on the two-way shooting range is very much the concept that that being an efficient killer is not accidental and it takes training and there's truly a science behind use of force use of deadly physical forces we would say so that makes up a fairly large you know part of the of the uh, canon of what I'm doing throughout the series which is different than the source G material you know you know it's like I agree you know poor ejemplo you know if you're firing you know your 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 50 gigawatt plasma rifle with you know uh, with Just all what you of, see, pal. right <laughs> I totally agree that almost anywhere that you hit somebody with that weapon that you're probably going to take them out of the fight you know that's prob that's probably very realistic anything short of that that's not how people are are taken out of the fight so it can happen i know so, we- it comes to a world where chemically propelled solid projectile weapons are going to be used. And I got news for you kids. They're going to be used for thousands of years because there's nothing more efficient. May not look exactly like what we have right now. They, it may be caseless ammunition, telescoping ammunition. It may be who knows what it is, but we're going to be launching solid projectiles through some kind of spiral tube at other human beings to, to kill them for thousands of years to come. It is going to happen. So comma, When it gets into science fiction and talking about those things in the realm of a military thriller, how one does that, there is science to it. There is science how we end threats with deadly physical force. And it is not aiming at center mass and it is not, you know, pulling the trigger as many times as you think you need to, stuff like that. There is science, there is technique, there are tactics, techniques, and procedures that are learned and applied and it is a very intellectual pursuit and things like that. So, right. Whereas like the G universe is part of Canon doesn't really go into things like that. I go into a lot of things so, like.
3: Talking about Canon. Cause you mentioned it. Did they let you make an alien?
1: Yeah. I made lots of aliens.
3: Cool. So did you do it out of whole cloth or like go, Hmm, I just needed to do this or have really crazy dreams. I don't know.
1: I thought about it from the cultural aspects of Earth-type societies uh, at many different levels and how they would be expressed in a science fiction universe as an alien race who we would encounter and have to interact with, and now having those kind of cultural, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Defining boundaries, how that would affect our characters' interaction with them. So, you know, there's a book where I write a alien um, who is extremely long. Their race is extremely long lived, and they're definitely supposed to remind the reader of like a, a Somali pirate, right? And they're supposed to they're supposed to be. In fact, even the name I gave them, the, the Macrobians. Right. That's actually the the uh, ancestral name of the people who settled that part of of Africa is the Macrobians and that they're very, very long lived and things like that. So with the aliens who are the, the aliens that I borrow from the G universe, you know, I, you take them like they are. And some of them uh, in book five, uh, it touches directly into another major book. In the Galaxy's Edge universe, it was called Order of the Centurion, which uh, was one of their best-selling books. And I tie into, finally, the rest of their timeline through this, the battle on this planet, the Battle of Sidon, and this race that they set up called the Doros, which are like dogmen. Ooh cool. But right but whereas in the the G book they really don't get into anything other than what they look like and you know they're real rabid when they attack something like that. I go into like the full, you know, special forces area studies thing and I assign them a lot of of their culture and their language and their behavioral patterns and their hierarchy. So I get to have a lot of fun with that. Even with alien races that are already established within GE, you know, uh, I I add the guys let me do a lot with that, and and clearly they they didn't hate it or disagree with it because it stayed in all the books. Nice,
2: that's awesome. Okay, Um, coming back, I know we've asked you a lot of questions and you volunteered tons of information. No, I'm 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 blown blown away. (laughs) Anybody where? It's so awesome. What? Is there anything that we haven't asked you about Dark Operator um, that you want to tell us about before we move on?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Um. Well, well, I'll I'll say this is uh, you know I will I will give people a glimpse of where the series is going and what is happening through the character that that's important to know. Uh, you know, it's been said by people. Older, smarter, wiser than me, you know, who are the old lions who brought all of us up, you know, that when you leave the service, uh, you find your own way back into the world the best you can. Ultimately, no matter what kind of programs that, uh, you know, they try and help us with and try and help us to transition back into civilian life. We're we're never civilians. We never become civilians again. We're never the people that we were. That's just the way it is.
2: Highland would call us uh, citizens. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I agree very much. I, I, I think the, the people who serve are very much the, the, the purest type of citizen, you know. Uh, but everybody finds the way their way back into the world as best they can. And whether whether you were an E four or you were you you know or you were or you were an O twelve, everybody finds their way back into the world the best that they can. Um, you know, uh, the original title for book five was actually the Soldier's Heart. Uh, that's the only thing I don't get a lot of control over is the titles for my books. You know, uh, I had a very specific, there's, there's very, very many sequences that are explained, uh, in characters who, who help the operators understand what it is to have the soldier's heart. You know, the soldier's heart is a term that came from the civil war which which was always spoke to me very deeply, is it's the way that they used to describe the Civil War veteran when we didn't have the term PTSD. Somebody who had great difficulty uh, readjusting to the world and was just different than their civilian friends. People just understood that they carried the soldier's heart.
0: And and just Uh, for a just for a point of reference, because I know we've got some listeners overseas, he's specifically referring to the U.S. American Civil War
1: the the American Civil War.
0: Yes. Cuz cuz the Civil War in England is a little bit farther
1: back. <laughs> so in so in in uh, post 1865 America, the American Civil War veteran is soldiers of that period of time who suffered from PTSD. The term that was used because we didn't have PTSD was the soldier's heart. That that person carried the soldier's heart. And and all of them, I try and describe what it is to carry the soldier's heart. Like I say, book five, my original title for that was the soldier's heart. For whatever reason, the guys didn't like it. And, you know, and I, and, you know, asked me to give them a different, different title. And I'm totally cool with that. But the soldier's heart is discussed within there and what it means and things like that. Um, when I speak to people about veteran outreach, You know, I have these things to say. Uh, Nobody gives a shit how many pushups you do on the Internet to to encourage or inspire somebody. Nobody's inspired by that. Nobody cares whether you know it or not, no matter how pure your intention. All you're really doing is self-aggrandizing. Right. It ain't working. It ain't helping anybody. Right. Veteran 22, do 22 pushups a day. God bless you. Your heart's in the right place. You don't understand what it is to be a soldier. Right, You know how you help a soldier? You pick up the phone and you call him. You don't text him. You pick up the phone and you call him. Your veteran friends don't want to exclude you. They just don't know how to tell you that they carry the soldier's heart. Call that guy, knock on his door, invite him to come on over and have a beer with you. When he feels like talking, shut up and listen. Otherwise, just be there for him, include him, do your best, and just understand it's going to take some time because he doesn't dislike you. He just doesn't know how to communicate with you. Well, he really, really communicates with another veteran like another veteran because no matter who we are, man, woman, service, you can sit down and you can just be with that person and you don't have to explain yourself.
2: You just explained last week's after hours episode that we didn't air. It was just the three of us just talking, just talking three vets around a virtual campfire, you know, doing what, doing what vets do. Do you know, we've all we've
1: all, you know, matter what service, we all have taken the big green weenie or the big blue weenie or whatever it is. We've all had to do absolutely pointless, ridiculous things. We've all been put in unnecessary positions of stress and danger. We have all seen people do the most amazing, selfless things, uh, you know, that that would go unnoticed by anybody else who didn't know what they were looking for. You know, we've we've had you know, you've been surrounded by people who you could trust your life with, but maybe not your girlfriend, you know, Uh, you know, I mean, that's just, it's an experience that, you know, uh, you know, when, when people ask me, you know, uh, you know, we, we, veterans are a minority in this society. They just are, you know, when parents ask me, you know, and say like, Hey, my, my kid is thinking about the service, you know, it's like, encourage them, let them go. You know, they don't have to do a career. What, you know, Serving is its own reward. Honorable service is always its own reward. It does not matter what you do. It does not matter if you halo out of airplanes at thirty-six thousand feet and kill people with a K-bar between your knee, w- between your teeth, or if you are the best POL specialist fueling F-14s. You know that the Navy's ever had. Honorable service is what matters, and honorable service is its own reward. And that honor will stick with you the rest of your life. And it will be recognizable by other people who carry the same honor. And you will have a brother and a sister in that person. Everywhere you go the rest of your life, there's nothing as good as it. And, you know, I encourage everybody, you know, take the take the leap. Take the leap. Go out there and live the experience. And you're only going to be better for it.
2: That's and, all. And you're and you're dead on. You're you're absolutely right. And now I've added a fourth person in this uh, in these four squares here that I'd be more than willing to reach out and talk to and and share it, a beer and a bonfire and a cigar with.
1: You know. But but the whole the whole thing in my point is, is, with my books is you know it's like I say that when when my brother or sister veteran reach out to me or they leave a review and they say like this guy hit it. Part of what I'm trying to hit is that experience, and why we are all the people we are, and think about things the way that we do, and interact with each other the the way that we do. You know, uh, uh, you know, it's like I say, I I want young people to be inspired and let themselves know that the beauty and that honor of that experience is calling to them, and that they should. They should follow that. They should let themselves uh, take that to heart and it will make them better people. And for the people who have done that, that that the rest of us recognize you and what you have what done and who you are and we love you for it and we accept you unconditionally, e- even though, you know, we may call you an idiot, you know, and you know, otherwise, other I won't say in my podcast. It's you know,
3: just pillow talk.
1: Right. Exactly. Because, you know, and those are, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like all those memes, you know, where the one bearded guy says to the other, Hey, you know, blank, 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 blank. It's like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard, you know, and that's how we communicate with each other. Yeah,
0: absolutely, Sounds about right. So when people are nice to me, I always wonder what their angle is. Speaking of angles, if someone wants to reach out to you, Doc
1: Spears, how can they do that? Um, On uh, Facebook, the Galaxy's Edge Fan Club page is where I have most of all of my interaction uh, with fans. And, uh, you know, if you tag me in something, I always get on it or ask a question. Or, you know, most of the time, you know, if I didn't see something, uh, you know, JR or any of the other uh, mods, you know, always bring it to my attention and make sure. And I I love interacting with people. I try and answer questions and uh, and do things like that. You know, on Facebook, I'm in the clear on Facebook, John Spears. Uh, people are interested in following that. Same on Instagram. You know, I'm easy to pick up uh, on Facebook. Forge Tactical, F O R G E Tactical. That's my uh, my uh, training business uh, for uh, for uh, consulting and training for uh, DoD and law enforcement personnel, as well as we take qualified civilians uh, for some things. So uh, you always get to see what we're up to when we when we're doing open enrollment uh, stuff, things that are not closed agency or military courses. We always throw up photos of whatever we're doing on the, you know, on the breaching range or, you know, in the, in the shoot house or, you know, on the sniper range or things like that. So, so, uh, usually some kind of funnier, you know, potentially motivational picture to, uh, to get you through the day on that.
0: All right. And you can find us on our website is www.anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. The link will be in the show notes. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show you can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We promise we do answer them. Uh except for you, that that guy Carl, like when you keep sending us those pictures, we're just going to keep ignoring you. All right. It's inappropriate. Uh you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author Jr. Handley and put in the comments for the podcast. And uh, by the way, Seska uh, Garber, I'm disappointed you didn't laugh at my joke. 50 push ups later, we'll get on that. And uh, that's it. So That'd be funny.
3: Boom. I don't do push ups anymore. I don't get <laughs> paid for that shit. Oh, I'll
2: right. do 50 air, air squats for you.
0: so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for nick garber and seska i am jr handley and this was the blasters and blade podcast we'll be back next week with the say at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture cheesy jokes sometimes they laugh at them and all things that go boom
2: rltw